This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. From Chicago, this is the Chavrusa. I'm Avram Kivalevich. I'm Kalman Warch. Kalman, we say from Chicago, and of course, I know whenever I say that, you're saying, come on, you're not really in Chicago. Um, but in a way, we are, because this is really something that developed from our Chicago days. It's always great to to go back and realize that we're from everywhere today. We're from Chicago. We're from Skokie. We're from Elizabeth. We're from the whole world. Um, whether you use Zoom or not. And uh, I was uh, scrolling through uh, articles in H.com, and I saw that uh, Ephraim Goldberg, who has become quite a spokesman, he's the head of the Boca Raton Synagogue, the rabbi of the Boca Raton Synagogue, uh, had an article in which he was rehashing a topic that when I was growing up was on most people's minds was, was there life on other planets? Is it possible that there is life on other planets? And what does Judaism have to say about that? What does Torah Judaism have to say about that? Now, Ephraim Goldberg's uh, point. Well, I mean, it, it is important to point out that uh, it's, it's interesting that up until recently, even bringing up this topic would, would already put you in a different category of person. Uh, that's correct. And, 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 let me just tell you what Ephraim Goldberg said. And his purpose was, um, there ha- as you, as you said, point out, there has been some recent involvement in it. A very wonderful article. I don't know if it's wonderful, but it was definitely interesting for me to read on uh, The New Yorker. Um, as I said to you on a different occasion, as I, I do have a subscription to The New Yorker, despite their you know, sometimes extreme left leanings and anti-Orthodox uh, leanings. They, They've they've basically been a a mill of a lot of anti-orthodox uh, Jewish articles, but anyway, they decided to. Um, this is a very gentle anyway. <laughs> please go on. They decided, Galman, and I was happy that their editorial board decided this to free us from the COVID uh, complete coverage. Uh, one again more about how terrible the Republicans are and how wonderful Biden is and to treat us to what's going on in terms of the UFO movement and how it has been silenced. Now Goldberg uh, spoke about the new statements that have been coming out and people admitting just like if you read the New Yorker article that there's a lot of incidents that cannot be uh, accurately debunked uh, there's such a plethora of, of of evidence, I guess, if you would say that, or testimony is a better way to say it, of sightings and things that occurred, that it's once again, as you said in your when you mentioned this before, that it's become at least not vogue, but at least you're not a nut for bringing it up. And and the New Yorker article indicates, and I advise people to read it, as to how there was a government attitude. Um, and a government uh, function to marginalize anybody that wanted to make hay about extraterrestrial beings. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if you need a, a New Yorker article for that. I don't know if you need a New Yorker article for anything. But, <laughs> but, but <laughs> I think that everyone, anyone who's, who's you know, even heard of the subject um, is already familiar with, with the way that uh, people who even brought up the subject were were beyond ridicule. They they were the mockery of society, right. and that was a, a, a specific a, a specific attitude that was fostered and created by a number of high government officials who went out there publicly and t- spoke about people's mass hysteria. People suffer from psychological problems. There's no evidence at all, and and a lot of the meticulously. Um, collected information about this uh, was basically dismissed. Um, and I am not necessarily uh, going that way. What Goldberg, and again, you're interrupting me, I just went to what Goldberg said. Goldberg said he can't believe he's living on the same planet after he goes into the spiel about 
the evidence about life on other planets and visitations, he talks about how he can't believe he's on the same planet, the same Jewish planet, with Jews that have been out there criticizing strongly uh, the actions of the state of Israel in the recent Gaza war. And that's yeah, I, I don't know if I would give it a, a, a political spin as if as if that's the relevance of this. No, no, I agree. And you know what? We 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 struggle with this as well. We we need to produce material, right? Otherwise, people are saying, "What's the Kavrusa doing?" So we have to find stuff. So I know Goldberg was using that as a jumping point to make his uh, to make his case. But the fact that he could even throw it into the pond shows you that there is as you said before, and maybe we should just start it with you, that there is a new relevance that people are seeing in this. And I think part of it, Kalman, is COVID fatigue that allows people to say, you know what, the New Yorker editors and everyone, hey, this is an interesting thing to talk about. Life on this planet is pretty terrible. Let's talk about where life is beyond, and let's go back and, and, and review it. But, but this, this is more than just starting up a new subject of discussion, right? What, what's, what's gently being hinted to is that um, science fiction may not be fiction. That's, that's what's being suggested. And, yeah. and, and I think we need to call it out for what it is and not just hide behind all of a sudden there's a new, there's a new interest in, in, in the green men from our uh, sister planet, it's, 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 it's it, well, uh, it's much more that there's actually discussion of, of people considering aliens. And that, that's, we right. should say it that way. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I'm actually going to, you know, I don't like the term aliens. Maybe it's because, um, you know. Uh, Maybe it's because you read too much New Yorker. <laughs> no, I would say even before I got my subscription, it's a life. It really is now. And again, the Indian just means foreign. You know, we, that's we right, foreign. Gera Nachri, and we don't mean it in any a negative sense. Okay. So I, I think what we have not done in, in our Chavrusa recordings, and we haven't even really done it in our friendship or in our Chavrusa shop, is really talk about how we feel about. Let, let, let's let's take the, the subject in this way. A is it can Yiddishkeit, that we both subscribe to, vouchsafe uh, uh, that there's an idea of life beyond this planet Earth, this planet that's described in Sefer Beratius, this planet that we, Claudius Yisrael, represent the pinnacle of humanity and our purpose. Is, can there, that's one thing. The second thing I think we should discuss is this idea of visitation. The fact that is, and again, they quoted uh, Obama, uh, and, and I think Benjamin Blech in an article on H.com also writes about um, NASA. I don't know when NASA discovered this, but the fact that there, you know, there is planets that seem to be inhabitable. But let's talk about the visitations uh, and, and the possibility of visits or the appearances of what uh, so many people have testified that they have seen. Let, let me raise two issues here. Um, uh, n- number one, I think that um, the the question of you know, do we say the I get I get asked this question often. When I say often, I don't mean every day, but often enough that it feels like this is something that people are genuinely curious in. Yeah, you know, the question always sounds like, "So, Rabbi, what's the story with other planets? Life on other planets? Yes, no. What does Judaism believe?" I, I'm sure you've been asked that question many times, right? Um, I, 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 honestly, no. <laughs> I, you know, you know. I'll tell you the truth. I think it, it probably came up not as rabbi of adults. It came up more often with students when I taught in high school, day in and day out, or in, in, in my yeshiva interactions. I actually uh, felt calm, and this is interesting, that the adult students that I and I've given most of my life, I guess, to adult teaching, despite, you know, you know, I spent many years in, in, in various high schools and yeshivas, but I think I've been doing adult teaching um, for quite a bit, quite a while, uh, definitely since my you know, early, my mid-20s, uh, so probably around, you know, it's, it's, it's 35 years, I guess, of adult education and really intense adult education. Uh, it didn't come up that often, and I think part of it is because like you say, it's marginalized and maybe people aren't that 
concerned about it anymore. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think as asked asked this question, I mean, generally my response was much more within the. Uh, you know, I would give um, what uh, is often quoted in the name of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and you can, I, I, you've, you, you've got a little bit of a different quote, which I, I'm sure you'll share with us. But um, you know, I, I always um, received that the Lubavitcher Rebbe said that, uh, you know, whether there are or are not life, um, you know, in creatures, creations on other planets, we don't know, but, you know, they don't have Torah. That's the way I heard it. You can, you can, you can uh, um, quote it the way uh, that you've received it. But that's always been the response, coupled together with um, a, um, you know, it reminds me of when someone once asked Rabbi Victor Miller whether Christopher Columbus was Jewish. So his response was, who cares? Yeah. Meaning that, why is that relevant? And I think that that's always been part of the attitude of is there life on other planets? As long as we're talking about life on other planets out there, billions of light years away, who cares? Like you can't figure it out. So let me push back on that. I, I've I, got a second point, but please respond. To okay, I want to push back on that first of all. And again, it's, it's you, know, you know, Arya Kaplan uh, still has an well, after. Let me just make clear on, on, on this point. I don't mean, when we're talking about visitation, that's different. I mean, just the question. I, get, right. out there. Yeah. I already divided the question, Colin. I don't know if you were listening. Yes, but you're right. There's the one question is, is, can there be life out there? The second question is the interaction between that life and ourselves. And what do we do with these reports that that possibly might have occurred? So let's talk about the first question. Um, you know, Arya Kaplan, who has an afterlife, uh, which I think is quite, <laughs> quite vibrant. He's despite- got an afterlife. Yeah, I'm talking about, uh, even though Ari Kaplan wrote his books in a specific time period, a period of, of intense, uh, the Truva movement, he probably is one of the greatest symbols of that Truva movement. Someone who was uh, steeped in the, in, the, in, in, in the scientific intellectual world, and then unleashed that incredible mind into Torah completely to the point that, wow, he really did a number revolutionizing translations. And can you believe he did the uh, the living Torah by himself? Like that's a one-man job. It takes about 95 uh, Schmendricks and Art Scroll, you know, to produce, you know, what they did. And, 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 and reportedly he did it in under a year. So incredible, really. The energy of his mind, uh, how fertile it was, and the stuff he was writing. So he has written about uh, extraterrestrial life in one of his uh, one of his quick monographs about that. And, and he takes it as an axiom of Judaism. That of course, everything was created for, for, uh, for us. That's what Kabbalistic and mystical thought says. The Midrashim say it, but the, but the mystics, of course, developed this even further. Again, I can quote Nefesh HaChayim and other places where this idea is really taken to an extreme, and it's what I grew up with, which is that the tachlis of all the and all the shef and all the malachim and everything is in order to zero in on the yachas between us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that we share this intense love and connection that all the other malachim are jealous of, that all the other nevroim now that is something which I grew up with. But when I discovered the parts of the Moranavuchem that I, I, I started to read, I saw that even though Kaplan, who was very familiar with the Moranavuchem as well, I'm sure, uh, it, it was aware that in the Moranavuchem, the Rambam debunks this. Uh, he spends a lot of time saying that anyone who, is, who thinks that the purpose of all the Nivroyim that are out there of all the, and again, of course, the Rambam, I know you're going to interrupt me and tell me, the Rambam believed that these planets and stars all had great intelligences and were somehow, weren't just pieces of rock, that they were invested with great. More, he had, he had the realm of the spheres as a separate realm of creation. But, but the point is, he says, it's absurd to think that even though these planets and, and, and stars have subtle influences on us, that they were created for us. He, he believes it's so wrongheaded, and it goes against, really, the understanding of the will of God as ultimate. But so again, if, that's, uh, you can't partition that from his general position, that these are, that the um, celestial spheres are, are 
are knowing beings. And because of that, that's why he's going to have it different. No, no. If, if you read Marnevuchim and you read it, whatever translation you're going to use, or you read it in the original Arabic. You just read it, yes. I, you, I you, know about the original Arabic, but the in the, the translations of the Ibn Tibbans and even some of the new translations, they're, they're, um, it, it's very clear that the Rambam understood that the celestial realm is a realm to itself. And, and that really all the beings that could exist there and everything that exists there, it's wrong to be so uh, man-centric and Yisrael centric and, and, and this that Kaplan... I, I didn't read the Rambam, but, but go ahead. Okay, so, it's, so and again, I'm not Slifkin. I'm not going to say I'm riding on the Rambam's rationalist philosophy, but they're definitely, it's a very powerful statement that runs counter to things that uh, Ari Kaplan wrote, and I think even the quote that you said from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky is also quoted by Ephraim Goldberg uh, in that Aish article, saying that that if they uh, if beings exist, uh, they can't have bechira uh, because if they have bechira then why God has to instruct them and God has to give them some sort of Torah. And there can, there's only one Torah. And I think the Rebbe says the same thing. Uh, the Lama Rebbe said the same thing, that there can only be one Torah, there can only be one Torah Emes. And the, whatever those beings are, if they're there, they can't be on the Madrega that Torah needs to relate to them. Because um, otherwise, we are in a pickle. Not only aren't we the pinnacle of creation, which of course, I guess the Rambam says is true as far as we're concerned, but it's not true in an ultimate way. But 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 the Kabbalistic, Midrashic uh, ideas that we are the Tachlis, we sort of bond with God, we are part of the Godhead, we bring the Godhead into the world, into the universe, and all the millions and millions of alumnites. Um Not only, like I'm saying, is this a challenge to that? Well, I, I think that um, the way that we've been taught, the, the first word, Bereshis, that God created the world because he wanted the, the Jewish people. So again, we have to partition the original question because if we're talking about no contact, just whether they exist out there, it's hard, it's hard to imagine that any element of the universe should exist completely independent completely independent of the purpose that they were created for, which is, which is us. Now, if you'll tell me that in, 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 in a thousand years from now, when, when, when we do enter space, the final frontier, that, and, and then we, we figure that out, and then we come into contact and we say the purpose is for that, then maybe. But again, we're still in the first half of the question, where we're assuming it's just a question of whether they exist out there. It's hard to make that fit with. You're telling me uh, you're you're reading the Rambam that humanity is is not the center of of creation, or at least you're allowing, according to the Rambam, for that viewpoint. Look, the the Rambam consistently, and you can listen to some of my shiurim on the Rambam and the Ramban, and you don't need to because I think you're aware of them, but I make this point consistently. The Rambam is a cherry picks the Maimari Chazal that align with his, with his Ashkafa and his worldview. I'm not well, saying I don't that... I think he cherry picks. I think he's, he understood that that's what the sages meant. And then he reads no, he, everything that he believes doesn't and he, fit and with that. He, and he relegates... He relegate no, no, no. He relegates many... To either yeah, he, yeah, but not because he's like, well, that disagrees with me, so I'm going to reinterpret it. He's going to... He, he, uh, I mean, the way he's writing it, he's, he's writing it like, this is what they meant... Yeah, if he can get away that, with it, if he can get away with it, if not, he just ignores it, and he relegates it to uh, the trash heap. Yes, I, I talked about the the Pirkeder of Lezer that the that the Rambam just kind of throws his hands up about. So, I, so I, I, the, the point is, is that he is motivated by uh, a, inspired by the Torah, living from the Torah, but clearly he's got blinders on about any of these statements. I'm not, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure I like the, that turn of words, but I, I would say that certainly in Moran Nebuchadnezzar, the Rambam was writing with a very specific agenda, and we can argue all day, maybe we should, over what that um, what the Rambam's but, agenda right, was. But, 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 but that clearly is, had an agenda more in the book, and that's... Uh, and, that that is, and, and, and again, I believe that this does represent his personality and what he felt, and and it does align with the Mishnah Torah's well, let's move on. Let's move on oh, my, 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 point is, my point is like this. If we're not going to ride the Rambam's horse, then, and we're, and we're going to sort of like agree with 
the, 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 the preponderance of evidence that Kaplan brings. So we're going to have probably struggle with this idea if we are the Tachlis and you have these intelligent, are we going to say that the beings out there that, 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 that logically should exist based on what um, uh, scientists... Based on mathematics. That's what I'm saying. Based on physics and mathematics, it, it, considering the, I don't know if it's a billion worlds, I'm not sure exactly what the number is, but that there that life could only happen here, that, that it, it would seem. Right, right. No, I think if you have 100 billion galaxies and each galaxy has 100 billion stars, if, if, if we're not from a scientific perspective, and it's kind of ironic that way, that usually we tend to think of the religious as being more open to these kinds of things, while the more scientific to be less open to these kinds of things. In this case, it turns out that because it's a matter of numbers, your typical scientist with 100 billion galaxies with 100 billion stars in it, which means how many possibilities of planets is the scientists who should believe that mathematically there should be other civilizations and it's the religious who believe that god only created the world this world for a purpose and with it who are less likely to believe i i think that that right that's so, so that i think be. both of us despite being the chavrus and we're going to be at odds with each other i think we both can agree that that the math and science and physics indicates that there probably is life somewhere whether we let me transition this because uh, i think we need to get into the second half of the discussion okay because that's exactly it that same mathematics that tells you that it's unlikely that the happenstance which is what scientists believe happened on earth that the happenstance which brought life um, to this planet must have occurred a number of times, not just once, but a number of times on many planets and many civilizations, that same mathematics also suggests that the distance between us and them is so great that it's unable to be bridged. And, and the concept that we've invented in science fiction of, of finding ways to travel at warp speed in order to kind of remove this question and this issue, um, that, that's really cheating because... I mean, you could argue that those civilizations, in theory, would have been around longer, depending on how you interpret um, the the uh, the understanding of creation and the age of the universe according to the Torah. But you can interpret the Torah as the as billions of years, in which case they would have had a a head start, possibly, and they could have created and gone into into the, uh, approaching the speed of time, maybe exceed. So, so you could say that, but it doesn't feel that way, or or at least the mathematics. It doesn't necessarily suggest. And so the science may tell you that there's something out there, but not necessarily that they're able to contact us. But, but I think the second question um, also is resolved, meaning that if you believe that there is the possibility or potential for contact, that you've now removed the question of, of why would something irrelevant be created if humans are the center of the earth, uh, center of creation, I'm sorry. So then, then yeah, they were created to be part of our lives. I think that's a, the, the issue here is, let, let me tell you my, my personal um, take on this. I had this issue when I was learning the book of Shoftim, and you probably know where, where I'm going to go with Yes, this. well, that's quoted, Moroz. You're talking about right. the Shiraz Devorah. Right, so... Devorah starts referring to the planets, right? She starts right. talking so about. So at first it says, "Menashamayim nilchamu akuchavim that when they were fighting from the heavens, the the stars were were helping the Jews at war, which which sounds very very much like an alien invasion of some kind, and especially since, as you just quoted, and Devorah then says, "Oru meroz amar malach Hashem, oru." Arur, she, um, she curses or quotes the angel as cursing Maroz, and uh, Rashi quotes there, um, some say that it was a star, some say it was a human factor, but, but some say it was a star, and it was close to the war, and it chose not to come. And, and I remember learning that and going, well, what, one second, well, is this saying what it sounds like it's saying? But yeah, I think the issue here is, and that's where I'm going to um, have to push in the other direction. I'm going to say, you know, the fact that people are suggesting this now, the timing is very strange. There's, all, there's a famous debate amongst the science fiction um, world about whether time travel will ever occur. And the biggest argument against whether, I say time travel, meaning will human beings find a way, and, and you know, as a, as a, uh, a 
since my childhood, H.G. Wells and Jules Verne have been, uh, and, and so the idea of can there be time travel, and the answer has always been, well, if there would have been, then we would know about it because there would have been all these time travelers who would have made their appearances. And so to say that this is the best kept secret in history, literally, is hard to imagine. And in the same way, it's, it's hard to imagine that if this existed, that somehow their a timing corresponds at, with, with our ability to, to find them. And, and for us to be able to send a machine onto Mars to, to scoop uh, Earth, at the same time, you know, the Martians... Yeah, I, I can't believe you conflated time travel with extraterrestrial um, uh, spaceships or whatever you want to call them that can come visit us. Time travel, the problem with time travel is, I think Stephen King pointed out in his book, The Langoliers, I don't know if you've read it, is that time travel, we can't go back to something that doesn't exist anymore, right? In other words... Right, but on right, the other right, hand, right, Michael time, Crichton, by definition... We Michael Crichton and Timeline read it differently. He said that uh, time is going to happen, and even if you travel time, you won't affect anything. Right? Again, so, I don't. Again, I, I don't, don't think that the, these individuals are the authority. Uh, over the right, but I'm just pointing out for those who, like myself, sometimes garner information from strange sources and sometimes tertiary and lowbrow sources. But I think King put it put it accurately. One of the great. Even let Asimov me just make the point: the conceit of time travel is as if there is this past that's still happening in, in some way. And if you could somehow insert yourself back there, like you could either go into the DeLorean or go into the H.G. Wells chair and somehow go back there. We realize how precious every moment is. And that even though in front of the Rabbeinah Shalom, past and present are all, he doesn't, he's not subject to time. We, the Nevrayim that are, realize that time is gone. And that, that's, that is a, a, a a commodity that doesn't exist. You, you can't disprove well, my comparison. By right, right. Yes. Well, first, again, travel. time travel, I think, is inherently absurd. However, time travel is absurd. But wait. But the idea of, let's go with what your point before. Yes, because there's billions of planets and life logically should exist, you're saying somewhere, but because they're so far away, what are the, it's infinitesimal, the chances of them greeting us or being connected to us is infinitesimally small. On the other hand, since you are, you are rejecting the Rambam's view of things, you're going more with the Kabbalistic uh, standard view of things, that the purpose of creation is us, then since logically, uh, mathematically, there's life, it makes sense, as you said, that life should have some connection to us in some way, that that life should be connected to us, right? I think that's what you were saying before. And, okay, so now, let's talk about, Kalman, the, the, the plethora of evidence I said before. I haven't read all the reports, but are you willing to say, and you said it's sort of weird that it's happening when we can begin th- uh, thinking about going to other planets that all of a sudden in the 40s and 50s and 60s and 80s, whatever it was into the 2000s, that these sightings occur, right? That's what you've been saying, and that it seems too convenient. Now, now you know that when uh, you weren't alive, but when I was growing up in, the, in, in, in a teenager in the mid-70s, there were a lot of popular books called Chariots of the Gods. And I'm sure you're familiar with what these books were. These books were the ultimate kfira for many because they said that what Yecheskel saw and that many of the visions of the, of the Nevi'im was actually visitations. And um, that the, maybe these, and we know, I think Mormon, uh, although I'm not... I, I stopped at quoting Stephen King and Michael Crichton. Once we start quoting books written by people who are and ingesting mushrooms at the time. I, I, I don't know if... But, but, but if the idea it. was that there have been in human, as we see from human literature that has survived, uh, Torah literature, if, again, that there have been visions of things beyond. There have been things of things that have happened. And people thought maybe we have been visited by these greater beings from other planets. Again, obviously we have to reject that because we know that it was a Navua from God. But it isn't just now, oh, now that it's happening. There have been uh, phenomena that have been described for hundreds, thousands of years that many today consider to be, whether they're crackpots or not, 
<laughs> proof that this that these higher beings have mm-hmm. come and Let, visited. Whether us. they're crackpots or not, they, 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 people who people there will always be crazy people, and that I don't know why that's part of our. Uh, are, uh, no, no, because I want you to tell me, do you really think that all the thousands of reports from, let's say, from the ones that have been documented since Roswell or even before up until recently, do you think all of them were all people that were high, seeing weather balloons, went at the mass hysteria, were listening to Orson Welles, whatever it was? Do you think they're, they're, you really buy what the government has been telling everybody? All these people are nuts. Is that what you think? Well, it's hard. To, I don't. Want, I don't know. I want to quite say it like that, but I, I will. I will push back and say it. There, there are other reasonable explanations that are as simple as there is that there's technology on planet Earth that's a lot more advanced than than we realize, and and I would even say. And maybe I'm maybe I sound like I'm contradicting myself a little. I would say that I would I would say there's a greater likelihood of alternate civilizations within our own planet, maybe even within the Earth itself. I like, would say, like, like Wakanda, the, like Wakanda. There's maybe right that there's maybe a secret uh, civilization. I think Wakanda is a is a fair analogy from what <laughs> I'm imagining, although although without the vibranium. Or maybe with the vibranium, but but the 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 the, the Sambation, right? The the ten tribes, the the Atlantis. I, I think that there's much more room. Sambation and Atlantis. Wow, you you're really combining I'm, things. I'm just, before that may be easier than than going into outer space, where as much as you you separated my time travel from from space travel, I do think in both cases you're dealing with the concept of of warp speed and time, and I think that that you end up in the same place. Uh, The the point is, there are ways to explain certainly all the old sightings, that's for sure, and and maybe what they were seeing is the time-traveling planes. Uh, But but today, today, um, there there are certainly unidentified flying objects. That's for sure. I'm not going to say that there are not. And, and doing, and doing but, what's the, but the, what, what the likelihood of their actual identification, I am not convinced, nor I do I believe that a rational person believes that there's sufficient evidence to be convinced. Like, to, to consider maybe you put more qualifiers in there than Bill Clinton's lawyers. You know what I'm saying? You've got a lot of qualifiers there. Look, I am not look. I'm not saying that um, that uh, it was definitively that these were visitations. However, I think you agree that to say every single one of them, including the what the pilot saw over O'Hare in 2002, wherever it was, or in England, that that it, it, it's wrong to just put them under the carpet now wait are is it wakanda is it or is it some super jet that the u.s has been working on that they didn't want us to know about they didn't want the russians to find out about and that's why it traveled at certain certain altitudes and did things that no other airplane can do i'm not saying that's not impossible and maybe that is which is really what your point is but if it is something from beyond here uh, if it does come from someplace beyond, whether it's from some uh, planet, as you say, but maybe it's a malach, maybe it's maybe it's 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 embodiment like Hagar saw the malach. Maybe these are these are malachim that are on their way to do the rabbinic shalom's will. Isn't that possible? Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it, our sages tell us by in the case of Hagar that it was a big deal that she saw an angel. And that she tells us, look how great she was, that she was able to, and and maybe, you know, we've got all the Eliyahu Anavi stories, but but generally speaking, you don't see Eliyahu Anavi as an angel. You have to be on a level to be able to experience that. And it doesn't seem like your random farmer in Kansas. How did Elio leave this planet, by the way? How did he leave this sphere? Well, (laughs) all right, okay. So maybe he's still riding that bus. Who knows? Maybe who knows where he was after? Well, well, let me say this if you want to suggest that unidentified flying objects 
our, our, our chariots of fire. I'm with that. But that was a vision that only Alicia could see. If we would have been there, we would have seen nothing. And right, which is what many people's reportage was. It was a, uh, it was a, it was traveling so fast. It was moving at a certain uh, uh, element. It was uh, right. It seemed I don't to be. Think we pro- wouldn't be able to see it because of the speed of the movement. I think we wouldn't be able to see it because our eyes are too, too. Because um, it was moving so fast and in a different sort of in a different way. So I think that these. I think some of these sightings could be uh, ascribed to Malachim Elio Anavi. Why not? Why can't why can't that be what it is? I I, I don't know if uh, if the I got the, the people in, who seem to be associated with this don't see it. Like why are they appearing? Why is Eliyahu Navi appearing over over boats and flying over them, scaring the pilot instead of appearing to me and answering my questions? He probably did. On, on he, the he, Gemara, well, right? So, okay, let me ask you this question: The Gemara talks about Eliyahu Navi appearing to many Amaroyim. Shub and Levi and others, right? Talking to them, and then he did appear to them, and he didn't. Do you believe people still are on a madrega hayom to have Gilealio? For sure, for sure. Okay, so you and I, and I agree with it too. And people are going to say I, I am, uh, you know, on something, but I, I am sure that there are tzaddikim, probably in Eretz Yisrael, maybe even here in, in the United States, yeah, all over the world. Thirty-six right. in Eretz Yisrael, thirty-six in Chutzar. Okay, and Elio and Avi is showing up. Right, and they know it's Elio that they're talking to. Right, they know that they're learning with Elio Anavi. You agree that that's happening even today? Yeah, no. I think every Jew has to believe in, in in talking donkeys and 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 floods and arcs and okay. and so, and so Chazal say in Erevin Elio Anavi is not like genie from I Dream a Genie. He doesn't do this and like and pop his eyes or like Samantha and show up somewhere else. He's not like the people on the on, on, on the enterprise that appear based on like that type of whatever it was called. What was it called when they went into the into the uh into the transport room? Right? Be, that was the beam me up. Beaming style. up and beaming down, right? Right? Beaming. And we all know he doesn't beam. Chazal say clearly that he jumps, he moves. He Why flies. can't what? He flies. Flies. So why can't Eli- the wing, right. right. So why can't Elionovi be the, the, the person who's mentally controlling a ship that's actually getting him someplace, right? Why not? He went back, he went up in the ship. Why can't he still have my, one? My point was more that we do <laughs> believe in the supernatural. And so the fact that something is considered supernatural within in the world we live in doesn't really bother me. And that's not the reason why I'm being so skeptical. About about alien sightings, it's not because it's supernatural and I'm you know rational, scientific. I believe in demons. It, it, it's it, I, I, and I don't even think that demons are supernatural. Maybe, maybe that's that that's how far it goes. Yeah, I, just, yeah. I, I don't think that there's enough um, evidence that's that's convincing. And for the same person who's able to you know in classes argue that you know we've got the Kuzari argument you have to have 600,000 as a system for what's considered believable so we're trained to measure whether something is believable or not I don't think you've yet entered into that space uh you know let me go back to, to stage one and just read something from uh the Rav now again you know the Rav Again, there was a lot of you mentioned before a couple of before we started recording that you weren't so sure about everything that was said in the name of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and you said I have a tradition. I don't have any tradition. I'm just a guy, a troll. I'm just trolling the internet. But here's the Rav saying the following: According, are you saying you believe in trolls? <laughs> oh boy, are there a lot of trolls out yes, there? Yes, we know that, yes. right? They, and they not only do I believe in them, boy, do they have power. That's for sure. Uh, Rav Salvechik was asked about alien life and said, it's possible that Hashem created other life forms on other planets. It's no problem to Judaism. The reason man likes to think, and again, this is very much informed by the Moranavuchim, he's the only created being in the entire universe, is because of his egotistical nature. Even the concept of Amanivchar, chosen nation, may only be relative to our world, our small section of the universe. The Torah is written from the viewpoint of our sun, moon, and stars. It wouldn't detract from our being, the Amanivchar of this region of space, if there were other Amanivchar in some distant galaxy. Um, that is one thing that uh, Rav Salvechik was purported to have said from the book, The Rav Thinking Aloud. 
I want to quote you something else from uh, from the uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe. Now, the Lubavitcher Rebbe kept a, uh, a correspondence of many years with Dr. Velvel Green, and you can look him up on um, on, in, in the, on, on his Wikipedia page and other places, where it shows his incredible accomplishments and what he did uh, in Israel and throughout the world. And he, of course, was enlisted by NASA uh, to see if there was life on Mars. And he went to the Rebbe, and uh, not he went, he sent a letter to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe wrote him back. He told him, Dr. Green, you should look for life on Mars. If you don't find it there, look somewhere else. Because if you say that there can't be life outside of Earth, you're putting limitations on the Creator. And we can never do that. So there is what's out there, Kalman. You know, part of we're sitting here, two tiny dust motes on a huge planet for us, talking about things way beyond us. Uh, and, and I think that this is a good wake up call uh, to stop being so self involved. Um, yeah, <laughs> there is this, this, this again, the Rav and the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Would you not say that these two men are probably two of the most important Jewish Orthodox thinkers, or maybe, for, obviously non-Orthodox doesn't play for us in the same way, but two of the greatest think, Jewish thinkers of the 20th century? Uh, yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Yeah, right. and both of them clearly, again, Again, even though the Rebbe said that they, there's only one Torah, and that in that way he's very different than the Rav, but I think that 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 there is something, Kalman, that is that that is uh, liberating about contemplating this, liberating about believing this uh, this idea, um, and, and 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 in a way, it, it really allows, and I don't think. It's just a way to get away from the, the the strictures and anxiety of COVID. I think I think I would like more people to stop believing in our self-importance, in the importance, and using Chazalin uh, and other things, and to to justify their significance. You know, both of us believe, I think, Kalman in the importance of learning Torah. And both of us, I think, know when we really got involved together in learning or, or in the many years we've spent separate in learning, that when we learn, there is a demiurgic power that is occurring. There is something that we are shifting and changing a, a, a plate, a tectonic Torah plate in the world, and it's becoming different and better. And, and that's good for us, because otherwise it would be hard for us to start new sugyas that, that, that would be so difficult to, to plow through. But isn't it great that we can step back and say, you know what, as important as we make this, it, it, from Rabbi Shalom's perspective, it's way, way beyond that. And maybe we won't take ourselves so seriously and think our agenda is so important. Maybe we will be careful in terms of making statements like, saying that all you need, you know, that 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 has for Sholem to stop anybody from learning Torah for any minute, because don't you realize that's keeping this whole planet going? Don't you think, don't you realize that without that, the world is being closer with Toyovo? Don't you think that people who invoke this too often end up really uh, in a very bad place and a very, in making tremendous Achil Hashem and other things? I, I think the lesson to take from it is 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 a, a fair suggestion that you know the idea of seeing ourselves as a speck and maybe we see ourselves as more of a speck when we realize, especially if there's an advanced culture that has figured out how to travel light years before before we can we can figure out how to solve our traffic problems. So it, it's a it, that's certainly you know, brings us a, a very sobering uh, sense of. Uh, of, of our of how small we are, and maybe that is the problem that too many people on this planet, and that would certainly answer the timing question that because Baruch Hu looks at humanity and watches all these arrogant beings, and they have to realize that they're nothing more than a who, 
in you know from Horton's yes, um, mood that we're all just a tiny little specks. I, I think I think that that's true. We have to counter um, balance that with a sense of bishvili nivra olam, which I, you know is not is not the wrong thing either to understand a, a sense of uh, value of ourselves. But but I do think that don't you think our time? Look, I said before, Kalman, both of us. Have, have many times labored in, in a very difficult place. And it was only Bishvili Nivra Olam that kept us going. But we realize how dangerous that can become, right? How dangerous, and, and, and that already has shown itself. So maybe this is something, like, look, even what the Rav says, when the Rav says that we are the Amanifkar here, he, he doesn't mean to say that the, Arab, that the Muslims are or that the Christians are. But even if we could conceive of there being another Amman Nifkar out there that's not us, doesn't that make us more tolerant of the other people here on this planet? Doesn't that make us a little bit more understanding of where they're coming from? It's a shame if we would need that. It's a shame if we would need um, entire civilizations <laughs> in order to teach us a little bit of, a little bit of tolerance. Right? Well, but but unfortunately, what we find in the rhetoric that that in, in today's world that becomes public everywhere is this rhetoric that gets turned into triumphalism and 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 and, and bigotry. I, I know that's not what it is, but maybe knowing that the Amanifkar is relevant, it's relative. It's not necessarily a a, a, a an objective MS the way. Others think. I think the Lubavitcher Rebbe is trying to come against this perspective you're suggesting, right? That that point of they don't have Torah and they don't, in other words, don't don't see it as a challenge to that, but certainly see it as 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 being open to the concept of of there being more to creation than even we've um, had opportunity to see. Well, Kalman, uh, we will still, I know, uh, dig- disagree on on, on much. But on the other hand, I guess we can enjoy pondering this. Uh, and, and, and yet, I would hope that this conversation that we have should be more than just the speculation or a means to, uh, to, 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 to make a political point. I think, uh, I, I think it could suffuse us, like what you said before. Yeah, you- I, think, I think that what we've done is we've brought it to the forefront of the discussion here. I think that um, we've made this uh, a possibility within our consideration. And that's something that, that that's changed from what existed before. And I know that wasn't exactly the point you're making, but, but to take it to this place where we give it now um, something equal and challenging to our own great stature, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble accepting it. You know what? It sure is because there's nothing, there's nothing, um, scarier than being replaced. There's nothing scarier, as I've told you before, right? right? The hand that rocks the cradle. Remember, I told you that that is one of the scariest. Well, I would say, uh, named must be your fear before banish it, you can, right? That's the uh, quote from Yoda. It, it's uh, You do have to express your fears, although I, I wouldn't say that this is that kind of fear. Well, it's, it's, it really is the fear of replacement. I think part of the reason why we fear what Rav Salvatrix says is because it it, it 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 speaks to our unique individuality. That's why I talked about the film "The Hand That Rocks the Cradle," which is, of course, about um, Rebecca De Mornay plays this ultimate babysitter who ends up um, taking over the child from uh, from a mother. I forgot who plays the mother, but she does such a great job replacing the mother, nursing the child when the child shouldn't be nursed. Um, even another great science fiction film, which I don't think has ever been topped by its remakes, which is, of course, the uh, invasion of the body snatchers, right? <laughs> the invasion of the body snatchers, where you have uh, the pod people come and they basically take you over. They have your same memories, right? They are you, and yet they aren't you. And I think that that is the that, that, that the reason why it's so scary is not because of the special effects. It's not because they are like the like the alien and aliens that career out of your um, the way they burst out of your stomach. It's more about the fact that they can replace us. And if they replace us, then what are we? 
What is our individuality? Well, Kalman, let's let's end with um, in the words of uh, the immortal Leonard Nimoy as Spock: "Live long and prosper." Yes, and uh, with the Birchas Kohanim behind him, uh, live long and prosper. for you and of course everything that's going on uh on your side of the planet <laughs> he 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 is Kalman Warch, a terrestrial uh out of the midwest and my chavrusa Bavram Kivalevitz bringing balance to the force <laughs> on the northeast coast <laughs> of this mud ball that we call planet earth take care everybody watch the skies <laughs> you'll see perhaps you'll be surprised Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. From Chicago, this is the Kavrusa. I'm Avram Kivalevich. I'm Kalman Morch. Uh, yeah, Kalman, I... This, the news has been um, difficult. Um, we've talked about it, uh, how difficult things have been the last couple of weeks. And maybe it makes sense to sort of like take a big picture view, but even go beyond this world. Uh, and I, I was surprised that when I had this idea to speak about UFOs and extraterrestrial life and the possibility of there being intelligent life beyond this planet and the uh, visitations that might have occurred. Um, it was actually spurred, I have to tell you, not just because I wanted something non-COVID, non-Marone, non-Gaza, and also because I have a subscription, Maskir, to the New Yorker. And they had, uh, from a number of weeks, I think it was two weeks ago, um, a, a quite a lengthy article about UFOs and their proponents and and how they've been silenced, uh, marginalized, ridiculed, uh, despite the fact that there's some pretty um, uh, convincing arguments that at least some of the sightings um, have enough people corroborating them that 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 it sounds like there's something there. So I read that article and I said, you know, this would be great uh, change of pace. Uh, for Kalman and I uh, to discuss. And then my wife provides for me that it, just two days ago in H.com, uh, we, we'd be lucky, of course, the Illinois Center for Jewish Studies and the Yeshiva of Newark would be, uh, be graced by the planets <laughs> if we would be able to get the readership of H.com. And I see Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, a very um, uh, respected a speaker and thinker, uh, the rabbi of the uh, Big Shul in Boca Raton, the Boca Raton Synagogue, writes an article all about UFOs and Jews living on different planets. And um, he gives a, a, a pretty concise uh, description of the various opinions there. So before I read from them, um, uh, are, are you willing to join me on the ship here? Are you willing to uh, to, to ascend uh, the stairs. I don't know if it's stairs, but ascend onto the walkway, uh, onto the, uh, uh, into our space orb and go someplace. 